UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Got it. Am I recording? Okay, I'm recording. When you don't have it, then I'll have it. Okay. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest with me today. If you're looking at me, I'm not on my usual platform. I had to log on from my phone because I'm having technical difficulties. It's crazy because my computer's not even old. So you tell me what's going on. I mean, it seems like they might not want this information to get out. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but when you think about the subjects that we're going to be talking about today, it's really not crazy. And who I have with me is an amazing person, I think. I have with me Frank Jacob. He's a producer and a director. He made the movie Solar Revolution 2012, Packing for Mars in 2015, and most recently, um, the, the, the timeline documentary about the, the Looking Glass Project. Um, it, he... Uh, Frank is an award-winning independent filmmaker, editor, director, composer, and creative designer producing compelling documentary and commercial films for a diverse and exciting range of broadcasters and brands from forbidden archaeology to sexy cars, consciousness to extreme sports, from story development to camera work, music, sound design, graphic design, and motion graphics. Jacob works on all levels of production process and on all industry standard software platforms. Frank Jacob is the independent filmmaker with a, six, with a new six-hour webinar series on Project Looking Glass called A Tale of Two Timelines. Project Looking Glass, Time Technology, and a new, how a new group of whistleblowers called the Guardians of the Looking Glass has come out of the last few years with some interesting communications about the online looking, looking glass technology and how it's been used to manipulate timelines. With all that said, I want to give him a big warm welcome back to the show. Frank, thank you for coming back on. How are you? Um, good to be here, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's 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 like very apropos that I had you on today. I just hit ten thousand subscribers on YouTube, so maybe this video will get me kicked off. No, I'm just ki- I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. But I'll, I'll, I know we might get into I'll some heavy. In topics. reverse, I'll speak in reverse. Then YouTube algorithms won't catch all the dangerous words. Yeah, that that sounds good. So, so um, right, but then you won't be able to understand it. Oh well, we'll just be very cautious. <laughs> Yeah. So, so uh, where we were from what we picked up uh, last time? Well, I get kind of get want to get my because I have new audience members who might not be familiar. You did a documentary, but you did many documentaries. But the one recently you did was on the Looking Glass technology. Can you tell the fans about the Looking Glass technology and is it very real? Well, first of all, it's um, I just I'll just correct you. It's not actually an official documentary. It's a, a webinar. Um, so it's much more um, classroom-like, <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I'm a filmmaker, so it's it's you know it's filmic. It has if a webinar could be filmic, then mine would be considered a filmic webinar. So there's some film excerpts. There's cool stuff in it. It's 
but it's it's a very in-depth deep dive down that whole subject matter as you mentioned a couple of those words already the guardians of the looking glass that kind of triggered me um even making the webinar i wasn't um you know i didn't have any plans but i was sort of looking around doing some research on another subject and i by fluke saw some message that said guardians of the looking glass and um my cats are acrobatically mountain climbing over here so if something goes crash mm -hmm. you know what it is uh and they were saying you know the looking glass guardians and, and i knew about the looking glass from the work we had done on a film oh. called packing for mars i work with a partner tony maidenford we've been working for the for the better part of the last or decade or, or more on these kind of fringe sub subjects and I knew of the looking glass, but when I saw this guardians of the looking glass thing, I'd never heard of that word before. So I followed the lead. It, I landed on a YouTube page. There was about 50 clicks on a, a couple of videos that were up, not much going on. And I wasn't sure if it was, you know, uh, for real or not, but then I checked out the videos were all about, and the videos were these very, very brisk messages about, uh, from whistleblowers or people claiming to be whistleblowers involved in project looking glass back in the nineties. In early 2000s and see <laughs> and that um you know that that uh opened up like into areas of information that were very um current you could say i mean on the one hand it was a subject looking glass the looking glass itself was a technology that goes back to another group of whistleblowers that were around at the end of the 90s early 2000s the last whistleblower or person claiming to be a whistleblower's guy called himself Bill Wood, who was talking to Kerry Cassidy in 2012. And he was describing how the looking glass, the people that were working with the looking glass had a problem. And, and the problem was that they could see nothing beyond 2012 with the looking glass. Uh, and, and so there's all these things that happened. Then 10 years went by. And when these looking glass guardians popped up with these messages, they were so hardcore i had to look at it because they were it was making a lot of sense we were at the beginning of a war with the ukraine uh we were in the middle of a you know what they call a pandemic uh and we were talking about you know mass vaccinations and getting a vaccination out there into the public and these were all parts of their message so um you know, I, I started getting into it and, you know, the things just developed from there. So I, you know, it was a very, uh, and I looked at, you know, just the idea, I did a, sh a story on it. The story got picked up by John Nolan of Inspired and he and I did a show. I didn't really know John at that point. I didn't know much about Inspired Channel. I didn't, I, I kind of, while we were talking, sort of blurted open my mouth and said, hey, well, I should just do a webinar on this. And I didn't realize that there was going to be 500,000 clicks on that interview within a couple of days. So I got hit by hundreds of people saying, yeah, I want to do this webinar. So that was the birth of the webinar. The webinar is really a, is not just the Looking Glass Guardians, but a deep dive into the whole subject of, yeah, is the is the Looking Glass real? What is it? Who are the who are the protagonists and the whistleblowers involved? How does it work? What were they saying? And can we substantiate it in any other in any way at all? Because a lot of these whistleblowers have nothing to really prove their case, right? You have to take their word for it. So the webinar is really an exploration of all the different facets that support whether or not looking glass technology is real. And uh, so that's, and it turned into like six hours, like three, two hour filmic um, 
you know, webinar classrooms. And that, you know, just exploded. I mean, after that, uh, I was on Inspired again, and more messages came from the Looking Glass Guardians, and it kept evolving. They were talking about events that were going to happen that they had foreseen in the timeline of the Looking Glass. And one of those events was going to happen on April 18th, about a year ago, actually, pretty much coming up on it now. Uh, and that there was going to be a bomb and there was going to be a blame game. And the best way to stop it from happening was to spread the videos and talk to people, just spread the message and begin talking about this idea, these, you know, these crazy ideas and the timeline. So I kind of hijacked it and um, just took it in the direction of consciousness because that was important to me. That's sort of my pet subject. And I didn't want it to be very all about dark, you know, uh, you know, attacks and, you know, just apocalyptic future, because I think we can collectively influence the timeline. And in fact, that's what the messages of the looking glass were saying, but the odds were more in favor of the dark side getting the timeline put through than, than the positive timeline. So it was all about getting people talking about timelines, understanding what is a timeline, how we can influence a timeline, and to support it with evidence that, you know, what they're talking about in the looking glass mess, uh, guardians messages actually has some kind of reflection in reality or what we call reality around us. And that that's where it started, Rob. Yeah, and when, when you talk about this, I know you mentioned the whistleblowers. One that I've heard you talk about before, and I think you've talked about him on my show, is Dan Burrish. How does he tie into this? Is, and is he an, an important figure in, in this whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. Dan Burrish is, I think, you know, probably one of the most credible and pretty much the one that gave us the most um, up to when when the Looking Glass Guardians appeared, the information he gave us was probably the most thorough and the most interesting and, and descriptive. And it branched off into not just the Looking Glass device, but into how they found the Looking Glass. And that had to do with, actually, it goes all the way back to Roswell. And, you know, the the pilots of those craft that began crashing starting in the 40s, and they were captured and taken hostage i guess you'd say or put made prisoner and they had a name for those and they called them j-rods and those j-rods or at least one in particular was one that dan burish as a he was a microbiologist and the j-rod had uh neuropathy and they were trying to figure out a way to help him overcome the neuropathy and in came dan burish and began literally a telepathic communication with this extraterrestrial who it turns out is not really technically extraterrestrial because as it turns out the j-rods are future humans coming back they came back to this time just you know before this event that takes place and that was another substantiation of the looking glass guardians they were saying there was a cosmic event that was going to happen around 2030 and the j-rods and they were saying that there was a cosmic event in their past. And that led to the way that led to their timeline to the way they looked. And they looked like those grays that you know everyone's familiar with, right? The big head, the big buggy eyes, small bodies, lanky, right? Those are that's what we look like in the future as human beings, according to the J-Rod's information. That was very fascinating because, because the um the timeline, uh, you know, the idea of a cataclysm that is going to hit us is actually valid very valid in fact right now you know there's things going on on our planet right now that are leading us 
toward what could potentially be a cataclysmic event of the nature exactly like the J-Rods were describing and it pretty much exactly the time frame that they were describing as well. Does this have to do with our magnetosphere or like, because I've had a remote viewer come on and he talked about that. Is that, I don't understand it really well though. Can you talk, is that what it, it has to deal with? It has to do with our magnetosphere. Like I could put here, let me put up something on the screen. This is, um, this is the, this is the depiction of the magnetic uh, North Pole right now. And okay, you don't see it too well there. Let's see if I can get a better depiction of, of how far it's come. Yeah, you can kind of see it here. Let me make this bigger. You can see the direction. Let me just pop this out of the way. These markers here uh, are, you know, we have our, our north magnetic north pole is known to move. Usually it moves about 30 kilometers a year. And it's been doing so since the 1800s, since the 19th century. And these markers here depict its movement. And what's happening is it's begun to accelerate its movement so that it's now basically down, it's, it's moving at a rate of three to five miles per month. And um, so that means, you know, essentially now the other graphic is this is the last, you know, the recent readings that were taken. And it's showing us that it's moving toward a place called the 40 degree mark. And there's a measurement here of how far that basically is away you can't really see it too well on here but it's about right now it's about 13 miles away from a 40 degree mark and the 40 degree mark means that if you have um you know a um, the earth has its magnetism and and it has the magnetic north pole which is based on a number of factors like the cosmic influences and it, you know the schumann frequencies and if that reaches 40 degrees it's like there's been modeling done, experiments done there. Uh, it, it sort of goes really quick. It's like when it reaches this 40 degree mark, it exponentially begins to move. And if it moves uh, very fast, it will actually eventually either flip poles, like the south, south will become north or the north will become south, basically. And if it's very fast, then it might just be a magnetic move, magnetic north pole move. But if it's if it sticks, you know, more than normal, it will actually lock into the the Earth, and it'll move the Earth with it. And if that happens, you can imagine uh, that the Earth, you know, moving ninety degrees or more is going to cause. Well, I mean, we've all seen the disaster films, right? <laughs> you know, twenty twelve. Yeah. You know, you see the tsunamis coming, and you know, essentially, what happens is the Earth moves and the water stays, you know, in place. And we actually have a history, a cyclical occurrence of pole shifts. And these were uh, covered originally in the 50s and 60s. They were doing expeditions to the North and South Pole. And they were figuring out that in you know, the course samples, they were finding that there was traces of freshwater lakes and vegetations and flash freezing that had happened in cycles. And the last and the cycles seem to amount to about 12,000 years, give or take 50 years or so. Uh, and now it's like we're at a place where the last one that occurred occurred the time that they did those readings 11,965 years ago. Right. That was in the 50s. So do the math. And now we're at 2023. We're kind of already overdue for some next move. So if that were to happen. And the worst case scenario happens, 
it's a reset of another kind. It isn't a Klaus Schwab reset. It's a mankind reset. And whenever it's happened in the past, there's always been survivors. And they they survive by going underground and things. And there's records of this in the actual, there's Paleolithic records on you know, stone carvings on one side of the planet. They say it was the day the sun never went down, you know, so it was like a week long day. And on the other side of the planet, they had the darkness, the eternal, the darkness that lasted for a week, right? So you can see that it's real. It does happen and it does seem to reset society. And even if we are modern, if we were to lose, you know, the infrastructure that we have and you wouldn't find, you know, you don't find things like iPhones or iPads, you know, fossilized, you don't, because they don't last very long. The only thing that lasts long are these stone carvings. You can, you know, you, when they've carved them into stone, they are, they're pretty much indestructible. So the evidence of such a pole shift is there. So what the Looking Glass Guardians and the J-Rods were talking about with this cosmic event is real. It's due. It's going to be coming. The other thought, the other thing that comes along with that is, the magnetosphere itself of the earth is contracting it's getting smaller and weaker and when that happens the magnetosphere is actually something which shields us from cosmic toxic cosmic radiation because space is toxic and the stuff that flies through space and hits us including you know not just the sun the sun itself spews off massive plasma showers whenever these there's these flares or we get solar winds it's basically we're getting hit with plasma and our magnetosphere steers that plasma around the planet and you know if it's not too strong it just continues on past us if it's a lot stronger it'll it'll fl flick around the back of our planet and it'll build up uh, so much energy that it'll connect with the ley lines of the, the magnetic ley lines of the earth and it'll actually pull it back on the back side of the earth and that's when you get um these aurora borealis you know that's when you see that in the sky it's basically the magnetis the plasma is being pulled back toward earth from the magnetosphere and if you have a major like catastrophe where there's a massive flare like when we had at the carrington event of 1867 that was a huge flare that sent the plasma you know flare coming at us at you know over three million kilometers per hour and when that collides with our magnetosphere it pushes it all the way down to the surface of the planet and then you have you know like they had during the carrington event burning at that time they didn't have cell phones and satellites but they had telegram towers and there was telegram towers burning around the world you know so there's records of that so this is another thing that could happen and if the magnetosphere is weak it, it actually means that we have even less protection of those cosmic radiations. You want me to continue? Or do you have any questions? I, I have a question. Is there any way that we can like um, avoid any of this? I mean, like it sounds like we're we're headed for doom, but like is, is that what the looking glass thing has to do? Like, is is there a way that we can shift our timeline and possibly avoid this, or is it unavoidable and we have to leave Earth? Well, this is the interesting thing, Rob, because you know it's it's like the question is can our consciousness change matter and we know that yes our consciousness can change matter uh and and so if this is and the j-rods they came when the j-rods began a dialogue with dan boorish you mentioned him earlier 
And some of that dialogue managed uh, to be taken down into a document called the Doctrine of Convergent Timeline Paradox. And that doctrine basically describes that we actually could change things um, by our consciousness. In fact, let me see if I have that one stanza up here. Let's see. Yeah, here. Okay. I'll read you. Here's two uh, paragraphs from the Doctrine of Convergent Timeline Paradox. Okay. Number three says, it suggests the future humans are warning of an upcoming environmental catastrophe following the 2012 galactic energy related to natural stargate amplifications in our solar system. Now you have to forget about these dates because, you know, 2012, we don't even really know when 2012 is, right? But, you know, in, in, this, in the course of the movement of, of planetary systems in the galaxy, 10, 20 years is nothing, okay? So it's basically now. <laughs> anyway, so continuing that um a so, uh, that um in our solar system that will possibly that will be possibly precipitated by the presence of some artificial stargates on the earth if this future transpires it's a future that leads to the developmental evolution for better or worse of various factions of future humans now known as J-Rod ETs or or Orion Tals number 4 says that there's a future where a possible pole shift related environmental catastrophe is averted and does not happen and relative to this different timeline, the future that generated the J-Rods as we know them will never evolve from our own and we've taken a new path. Okay, so now they're describing something called stargates. And apparently what you find out is that there's both natural stargates, which are energy portals, like vortex points, if you will, around the planet. But there's also artificial ones that have been created by these ETs. To travel with they use them to travel they're like vortal port uh, ports that they enter to traverse um you know time space at a different pace than we would normally if you were just linearly travel with a rocket ship right so apparently these these artificial stargates were a problem because we move we've moved into an area according to them of really high energetic um activity in our in this particular location of the galaxy that we're traveling through right now okay now i can tell you that what they're talking about is actually really happening we actually are right now in a very very high energy place in the galaxy we're between arms of the galaxy if you will like you know you've seen that the picture you don't have a picture of the galaxy somewhere let me see <clears throat> i might have a picture of the galaxy uh -uh. Well, I don't have a picture of the galaxy here. But anyway, it's like we've seen those arms in our galaxy, right? And between the white arms is black space. And that black space, there's less stuff. And we're in a space right now between those arms, where meaning that there's less blocking us being in direct line of what's coming out of the center of the galaxy. And what's coming out of the center of the galaxy is a high influx of energy. Why? And we talked about this in our film, Solar Revolution, that you mentioned that there was an area, the area of the center of our galaxy is called Sagittarius A. And apparently there was an event where a plasma planet or cloud got moved to the center of the, to this black hole and the energy of it forced, it, it just got sucked in. And when it, when that happened, it released an immense, tremendous amount of energy at, out of the center of the, of our galaxy and it's like um, it's like when you, if you were to throw a rock into a still 
pond, right? The wave from the center is just moving outward. And we're out there in, you know, at the end sort of perimeter of those arms in that space, un unprotected <laughs> in a way from what's coming at us. And it's funny because we did this film 10 years ago or we released it 10 years ago and Suspicious Observers is another um, group of people that are researching uh, you know, space and space weather and things like that. And they just did a report a couple of weeks ago that we're talking about NASA data that was that was now confirming that yes, 26,000 years ago, there was this event and it takes that long for the energy wave to travel through matter. And I mean, the energetic pulse that's beyond matter, the scalar has probably already hit us and it's probably already hitting us. But essentially they're estimating that the, the, you know, the, the thrust of it, the main part of it is gonna be hitting us around guess when, 2030-ish. <laughs> so this is coming at us. So it's, just, it's all these like stories that were talked about by the J-Rods and the stuff like back over 20 years, 30 years ago, before they even knew all this stuff that we know now, we're actually are now being verified with the instruments we have to measure it. So the, to the answer the question, can we change it? Well, what the J-Rod was telling us was that if we shift our consciousness to becoming uh, more compassionate and uh, more heart-centered and, and of a higher frequency and a higher quality of thinking, if we move our consciousness into another frequency, we will actually change the universe that we live in. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. I was listening to something, uh, uh, a podcast, um, Jason Shurka interviewed uh, Robert um, Grant. <laughs> and he was talking about, you know, simulation and, and how, you know, the and he was trying to relate the Mandela effect to why it's happening has to do with when we shift our consciousness, we actually enter into another form of simulation or another universe, if you will. Um, with a different with different qualities, similar, but some things are changed. Some things actually have changed. And that was his explanation for it. And I had to laugh because it's funny because this would actually, and it's also backed up by you know quantum physics models, right? Niels Bohr and all these people, they were talking about how it only becomes real when we put our attention on it on matter. Like it's like matter doesn't materialize. It's just a wave. It's the potential. And the minute we put our attention on it, it becomes real. So it becomes matter, it becomes particle. And so the idea of us actually changing the impending catastrophe could have everything to do with what we collectively as human beings, as species right now on the planet can, can manifest, can, what, we can, what we can pull off. Essentially, are we up for it, right? And that's what really it's been interesting for uh, about this to me and this is why I think I went in it so deeply because I'd like to know if we can change it because I think the fact that on the April 18th event we had so many millions of people who were talking about this and focusing on it we changed it it didn't happen right so that was proof that we collectively can actually change shift consciousness shift matter or shift events and shift timelines so we just need to up our game a little bit and pull our consciousness into visualizing an, another universe, another earth, a different, like some people call it earth 2.0, other people call it the fifth dimension, but essentially we're at that cusp right now. And we're getting, if you could say, if you look at the cosmic radiation and, and all this information, it's just information, really. All this stuff is coming at specific frequencies. And these frequencies also happen to correlate with frequencies 
in uh, that that our that certain particular biological organs within our body also resonate at. And we know that those um, in, in, in physics, when two things resonate at the same frequency, there's an exchange of information. And so maybe it could be, or could it be, is the question, that this stuff coming at us from the center of the galaxy is like the, the Hunab Ku that Mayas are talking about. It's this wave of, of information that's, that's going to propel us into the next evolutionary leap in consciousness of humanity. And we have to be ready to ride the wave when it hits, like we're surfers, you know, and it's coming at us and we just have to prepare for it. So the best way we can do that is to begin to ask, first of all, realize that we're not just rocks and atoms that, you know, like the atheists like to tell us we are, we're nothing, we're insignificant, you know, accidental bits of, of you know atoms and molecules that smash together over an infinite amount of time in multiple universes until one time the connection of banging together of rocks and atoms just happens to result in us that's i think of it as one of the greatest conspiracy theories ever devised um but we have to stop thinking of us in terms of being accidental and maybe begin to think of us in terms of being creator beings that we actually can tap into other dimensions through our consciousness and in fact the science now is um proving that it's like we have these particular uh bodily organs that actually connect into other dimensions so it's not that far-fetched to think that the energy is coming at us from the center of the universe it's gonna um charge us and that if we focus our visualization toward high frequency thought higher energy more heart-centered um, we can actually begin to move the universe into this version of it where the cataclysm bypasses us. So in a way, it's like if it happens, we won't even notice it. It'll be like the Mandela effect, you know? There was a version of the universe where this catastrophe happened, and a lot, a lot of people don't remember it. They just remember there was never a catastrophe, you know? So it could be like that, right? So, you know, we have to be open to all these models. Like, like, like parallel realities in almost in a way like we'd be shifting to a reality where it actually does not even happen but let me right. ask you this frank like what is the what is what are the, the what is the looking glass like like do the people who have the looking glass can they make a change in our reality like if, like the evil side versus the good side like does that tie into this too yeah well the, the thing of course is that if you have a device which is and we, as far as we, I understand it to operate, it operates like uh, it's mechanical. <clears throat> and uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's um, it's got to be located near one of these energy vortexes, near one of these stargates. When you put it in the proximity of the stargate, the particular uh, materials it's constructed out of, um, and there's, you know, there's diagrams that were leaked out or create, created by the whistleblowers based on what they saw. It involves plasma coils moving and creating kind of like a plasma crystal ball, if you will. And you can see when you look into that coil, that moving, spiraling energy field, you, you recognize events taking place that are happening in other, you know, you recognize the, the things because they pertain to, to you, to the observer, and yet they are you they are obviously things that haven't happened yet and so they began to you know and the looking glass guardians brought a lot of cool information toward it because before a lot of people had it really just they showed us diagrams and they said that it it operates and you can they filmed it you know they filmed the stuff 
and they keyworded it, but they didn't really tell us much about how it works. And the Looking Glass Guardians brought a lot more information to the table. They were talking about it running in loops of seven days and 144 loops, totaling 2.76 years before it completes one complete cycle of, of, a, of a particular timeline. And then it ends. And it would always end at 2030. And they never saw past 2030, which to me means that 2030 is still anyone's guess what could happen because they didn't see it turned into a catastrophe at, at the end of 2030. They just saw nothing and it would start over again. And so what they began doing is they began, once they realized this, they began filming it and they began keywording it. And they knew then that at such and such date, such and such happens. And they could, of course, the, you know, they, I'm sure, and this is what apparently they did. They began to, um, inter intervene with their in their present time to to see how what how it had affected the actual timeline that they had documented previously, and then this is how they began to mess up the timelines and create these paradoxes that the that look that the J Rods talked about, which led to that document of convergent timeline paradox. It was all about these paradoxes, and they 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 had all these versions. I think. The last version of timeline Boer is talking about is T83 version two. Like, you know, they had all these different timeline paradoxes that were going on um, in order to try and manipulate it. But what uh, this is where the story diverges a little bit. The last guy who talked about it, what was seen in the timeline was Bill Wood in 2012. And he was saying that no matter what, uh, there was a big cosmic event coming or an event coming but the event wasn't a cosmic event. He said nothing about a cosmic event. He said it was the awakening of mankind and it was gonna happen on December 21st, 2012, right? Which yeah. was like the harmonic convergence, right? So, and we know we know nothing happened. I mean, that didn't happen. Man, mankind didn't all wake up and, and, and you know, apparently when mankind woke up, it would be the end of the cabal because we'd see through all the lies, we'd become telepathic and all of all these special features and functions. And it didn't happen. So, but when the Looking Glass Guardians appear ten years later, they said, "No, it's not like that at all." In fact, whenever they tampered with the timeline, they realized that no matter what they did, um, it always worked in their favor. It was like it was, you know, because essentially they had control of it, and they were watching, you know, when they interfered. That like nobody that didn't have the Looking Glass could change things in their favor so they had uh, odds in their favor and they actually showed us numbers of like 96 percent likelihood of the timeline working in their favor except on three years where a new timeline sprouted because information had been leaked to the public about the existence of the looking glass and the manipulation of the timelines that had a catastrophic effect on the the people keeping it secret so that their timeline probability began to erode and this new timeline led to a different future, which is the one where humanity does actually wake up. But it also, they said that there was a there was a cosmic event that happens around the year 2030. And that and the and the case of when the cosmic event happens, when we have woken up as society, it actually in, imbues us with energy that moves our consciousness, like I was describing to you, to another level. So that we actually get energized by it and we have this leap you know we end up in another constellation another universe and that was you know they all saw that timeline all of the looking glass guardians and that's why 
but they had they had seen those th like there was these three years in which those positive timelines sprouted and the first one was 2016 the second one um sorry the first one was uh, 2012 the second was 2016 and the third was 2022 and they hadn't seen anything emerging in those two previous years and it was now 2022 and they knew that if they didn't come out now that the people that they had pulled together with these were the guys that were in the looking glass project who had seen all of the prognoses even the negative one especially the negative one and they were sick to their stomachs and they wanted to try and help they were like the white hats you could say in the project looking glass and they came forward then in march and told us both scenarios in order for us to begin to hopefully shift it toward the positive timeline and so they set it in motion and we picked up the ball and began running with it i guess you could say and and talking about it and i think we've we've already moved our reality toward i think a much more positive timeline at this point it isn't in stone a lot of people believe it's already set in stone and i totally disagree because i think we have the power to bung it up if we want we have free will and nobody can intervene because you know this catastrophe happened last time otherwise the j-rods wouldn't be here because if we averted the catastrophe they never would have manifested right and so they are the living proof that the, the catastrophe can indeed happen and it will happen if they if we don't manage to shift our consciousness to this higher level and we don't manage to structurally on a very fundamental level and i mean on a very large scale level not just like you know a couple thousand new agers and going into meditation i'm talking about a fundamental change on a society level that spreads to many different areas of the planet so that it actually you know it's actually it actually shifts you know the prognoses on a large scale like the tipping point so that's what we need to make happen and we've got very little time to do it and that's why all these other things come into play like transhumanism the vaxes all the stuff that i've been talking about for the last year just to get people on on board with how serious this really is because you know getting back to the what set this all in motion is can we shift this yeah you know like i said we can't shift it but it isn't written in stone and so we we kind of need to know that um, we're up against some heavy players that have a serious advantage a lot of money highly organized and they're pushing their timeline those are the illuminatis those are the you know those are the satanists those are the people that are part of the cult of materialism and they yeah. you know those are one of the j-rods that came back those are the p45s those are the ones that were they don't care about us at all they just care about their own agenda i got a couple of questions well I, one's a statement like i was just thinking I, I was wondering like if we started doing like mass meditations like you know, like if we got some of the people who have bigger channels involved and like try to get people to start doing like mass meditations on changing the time. The reason why I say that is because um, now this was Art Bell, but Art had a huge show. Like, I don't know if you remember back in his day, what he did was he was he was calling it um, mass consciousness, where he would have um, his audience uh, meditate on something. And they were actually changing weather patterns. You, I mean, you know what I mean? And uh, he was surprised that he stopped doing it because he was afraid that if he did like a mass consciousness and they shifted a hurricane and it went out, they sent a hurricane out to sea, but then it came back and it hit somewhere else. He didn't want to be responsible for that. So he didn't know really what he was playing with. But like, do you think that like mass meditations could help? Or is that just, no, what, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think that anything that people do that helps them look at 
their stuff and helps them break the illusion. It helps them break past the illusion of the timeline they're on is going to help. I, I think it, but I think if you're just meditating, you know, without any kind of, if you're just meditating to kind of like zone out. No, no, think, no. Like more like meditation with like a, like a, like a, like, a focus. like there would have to be like something to put in place, like, like, like exact parameters on like what we would want our timeline to be. If that would make any sense, I don't know. Right, exactly, exactly. Like, like it would help if people were to begin visualizing a timeline they would rather be on, a natural, organic, biological timeline where we've, where we actually do have these incredible superhuman abilities, and that's part of where we land, you know. So that we don't even need to become, we don't need transhumanism, you know. We don't need to merge with with artificial intelligence. And if we begin to, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the kind of stuff we need to focus on. It doesn't really have to be an individual. Everyone can have their own preferences about what they want a timeline to be like that's positive. But the most important thing is to understand that you're up against people that are very devious and materialistic, and they are pushing an advantage to manifesting uh, their timeline with a lot of people, a lot of energy, because they essentially... Um, uh, have, you, have you ever heard of a series called Warrior Nun? No. There's, I, you know, I, I just, I checked it out when someone gave me a, a, a link and I watched a couple of shows and it, there was this, there was this evil being basically that set up this temple and everyone believed in that they were actually the savior and they would go there and just gave them their energy. And you, if you could see etherically and some of the characters in the show could, you could just see how their energy of their body, like, you know, some people call it lush. I've heard that word a lot, where yeah. essentially you give your energy to dark force. And so part of is uh, of the meditation would have to be identifying that you've been giving your energy to the wrong, you know, you've been giving your energy to the wrong timeline. And you need to identify where you've gone into resonance with this, you know, with this, this transhumanist future. If it's, you know, being seduced by technology, if it's just, you know, going along with the program, even though inside you it feels wrong, you know, I mean, how many people, you know, I mean, that ha were forced to take, you know, to roll up their sleeve, you know, during, during COVID-19 against their will, right? I'm sure billions of people felt this doesn't feel right, but they went along with it anyway, because of, you know, they were still in, they were still uh, not certain of their creative power. And they were su seduced by the dark forces into believing that there was no other way out. This was the only way out. And you know, this is the kind of like absolutism, which causes people to go into a, a complete like, you know, false reality, a false timeline. And so identifying the first step to meditating would be to identify, and you know, maybe not even during meditation, maybe prior to meditation, identifying where you know the dark where the lines are between the manipulation that's leading us to a limitation of human spirit and 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 firmly committing to no longer step over that line like the buck stops here and training yourself to look at that stuff maybe not constantly because you know it's, it can get you can get sucked into the dark stuff just as well just by analyzing it so maybe set an alarm clock and do an hour <laughs> And then pull, you know, look at it for a while and then just, you know, go. And then when you meditate, you, you can meditate with a focus on the positive timeline. So you're on the one hand, you're you're releasing yourself like an exorcism from the materialist 
dark transhumanist timeline and its vibe. And on the other hand, you're opening yourself up, you're raising your frequency and you're visualizing and you're anchoring in. Like another thing that we found that about uh, out about is that we actually are frequency anchors and that our, our being, every one of us, you know, as a spirit, we have a frequency that's very unique. There's no other Rob and Frank out there. We're very unique and we have a unique frequency. And we, when we put ourselves into that higher frequency, we anchor it here in this reality, this consensus timeline that we're on. And we make the probability for a new world much higher. But it's not to say it's going to be easy, but I think we should do it and we can do it. And I think it I, should be our actually our absolute focus right now. I, I would say I would say so too to to try to avoid like what's coming like you know if 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 that's what it is and it looks like that's what it is because like you said the J rods are the absolute proof of that right like that 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 happened like and well, 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 another question well my last question for you I had to ask this like do you do, do you believe the stories of the hybridization and what do you think they were doing with that like that they were trying to um you know like like take uh, humans DNA and um, if if the if the grays were the J rods or maybe the J rods or something, but I'm thinking if the Js were the gray rods or the J rods, like what do you think they were doing with the DNA and the hybridizing and stuff like that? <laughs> the gray rods, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Js and the gray rods, man. Yeah, no, uh, the J rod P45s are, are absolutely qualified for being those uh, abductees um, or abductors, I should say. That because that's what we learn is that from the doctrine of convergent timeline paradox that they are here for that sole purpose to harvest genetic material from their ancestry to take it back to their timeline. They don't really want to interfere. They want the they want the shit to go down the way it went down, you know. And so when that happens, they don't care. They're they've got their way out, and they're just going to take the genetics that they lost and all those tens of thousands of years in you know toxic toxic space that led to their mutation and they're going to reverse it and that's what they do their hybridization that's what that hybridization is all about and i absolutely believe that they're involved in it now are there others involved in it i mean the thing is how far do you want to go down the rabbit hole with ets how many et species are there i mean there's definitely evidence of others i'm not sure how many of them are actually here in our reality because you know like things like uh, it's very simple like you can look at the schumann frequencies we our brains are um in tune pretty much exactly with the same frequencies as the earth's schumann resonances the schumann resonances are created based on the size of the earth and the basically the bouncing of energy between the ionosphere and the surface of the earth and the speed of light it all adds to, uh, up to make this eight hertz frequency and there's harmonics as well. But if you go to another planet, the planet's got a different size than in a different ionosphere, the Schumann frequencies are not going to work. You're going to go crazy because your, your mind is, you, you're, you know, we're made for this planet. We're literally, you know, perfectly tuned even to, you know, to the degree of hertz in our brains that are into our, our planetary size and our planetary Schumann frequencies and any changes that happen over time. And it always hasn't always been eight hertz. It's the earth hasn't always been the same size it is now. It's grown, but it hasn't grown overnight. You know, it grew over long periods of time. So the changes aren't going to make us go crazy. But if you were to like, if you and I were to get on a spaceship and, you know, head across to the other side of the galaxy and land on an habitable planet with oxygen, um, 
and it was not the same size, we would be very, very disoriented. We would not be able to function on that planet unless we had some artificial device that you know put the frequencies that we're used to within our you know within our aura. In fact, that's what they found out about when the astronauts began first going into outer space. They, the Russians, you know, they had a lot of they did a lot of research on it, and they they did experiments because they found that once the astronauts, the cosmonauts, went went outside of the magnetosphere, they uh, they began having other qualities. They had they they, they had uh, psychic abilities and psychic qualities, and they they had a, a, a greater vision of what they were doing. And a lot of them would say like, "What what the hell? I'm not you know what am I doing this for? This is stupid. It's like kindergarten." And so they had to actually, and in, in Russia, I know for a fact that they actually put all of the cosmonauts and astronauts through a shamanic training because they knew they were going to go outside of the Schumann frequencies and there was magnetosphere and they were going to have to deal with the fact that they were experiencing these other well it's funny because these psychic abilities that the looking glass guardians talk about like we're going to have this major consciousness shift well it actually has been shown that if you take humans outside of the magnetosphere they actually have this you know, these cosmic, uh, these psychic abilities. In fact, they had over, I think, 36,000 volunteers were, you know, put through a rigorous program for years, some of them for days, for weeks, for months, even longer periods, years, inside of shielded magnetosphere areas in Russia. And they would study them. And they realized that their aging stopped. They began having psychokinetic abilities. They had telepathy. Um, and this is like real. This stuff is real, right? So, so do you think that means that we're not meant to be here, that we're like meant that we maybe we were ter terraformed here to speculate, you know, that like because if we were from somewhere else, maybe our or, or, or what do you think? Well, I think if anything, uh, if we were made by some species, like if we were genetic and, and genetically engineered or by a creator, then it was to it was definitely um, relative to Earth. We were made for Earth. We were not made for Mars or for Venus or, you know, we were made for the Earth. And, you know, there's lots of uh, legends and myths about the Anunnaki using humans to mine gold on the planet, right? Um, yeah. Why? Because they couldn't they couldn't cope with the Earth, right? They couldn't cope with the planet. They had to create a, a creature that was, you know, that had all the functionality that they had, but that were able to to live and and you know be physical and survive on this planet to do all this mining. Okay, now it's kind of it's an interesting story, you know. But the problem is, you know, we've been able to we've been able to physic uh, um, artificially create gold for well over three de decades. So the Anunnaki, if they're an advanced civilization, would probably be able to manufacture gold as well. So the idea of them needing us to mine gold is kind of a stupid story, <clears throat> but um. You know, I think the myth of the Anunnaki going to Sumeria and being you know, manifesting on those kings, those Sumerian kings may well have been the Anunnaki. I think that's the closest we get to identifying what they look like, you know, who they were, and that they came from the cosmos. So there's a lot of evidence that we really did, you know, we were, you know, um, maybe not brought here, but we were made for here. And that those ETs that are out there that, you know, people say there's dozens of different kinds i have yet to see one and i don't think anyone's got any footage the only footage we have is of the j-rod you know and yeah. other than that we don't have any other footage and so why yeah. even the it, orions it, it, you know we don't, we don't have the orions and there's another fourth being you know that was like these they're spiritual that even the orions rarely saw they were highly spiritual they were interdimensional beings 
So if there really are other ETs, I would say my guess is they're they're operating on 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 other astral levels. They're they're operating in other dimensions. And a hybridization program in that sense would mean that they would try to hybridize their own genome on Earth with humans. And so there's a lot of people, and you know we're making a film about that right now actually. And uh, that you know that claim to be hybrids that are humans that are that are hybrid extraterrestrials and they say that they were a combination between the genome of humans and the genome of you know arcturians or whoever you know orions or you know there's different all there's dozens really and that would make sense because those beings would not be able to be on this planet because they would they would suffer and even the j-rods they had to be in these clean spheres because they needed higher nitrogen content in the evolution of their timeline 45 50,000 years later they need less oxygen. And, and even Dan Bush had to put on these clean suits to go in the clean sphere because he would not be able to survive in those clean rooms, even though it's, it's humans evolved in the future, essentially still using oxygen and still being in the same environment. But the, the consistency and the percentages of the gases were changed because they ended up on reticuli. You know, so it's a it's a crazy really it's a crazy topic but there's a lot of evidence to kind of back a lot of this stuff up it's just not um stuff that our governments are going to come out in the open with and tell us about yeah i agree i agree so wait do you think that you're saying the grays ended up on reticuli so they ended up like leaving their i'll say the j-rods are the grays interchangeable they ended up leaving earth and they ended up on reticuli and that's kind of why if we go in the past which was really them from the future betty and barney hill was actually them meeting with future humans like Right. Yes. Right. They, they I mean, it's interesting because, and right. And if you look at time, you know, like what is time? There, there is no time, right? Like time is only really just our perception of events that we've put together in a sequence of pictures and our that we've, you know, we've given them an order, you know, a, a certain, you know, succession of activities that, you know, like just like you have a film, one frame after another, right? One, you know, 24 pictures per second, you know, you run it, you know, it looks like it's real. We, our time is just, you know, it's like, a, and it's, we're, we're learning that time kind of loops in on itself. So it's not that crazy that, you know, the only ETs really in the universe or in our simulation, like say we want to say, we want to say it is a simulation. I mean, there's really, is there, is there any difference between it being real or a simulation? Not really. In the end, it's how we perceive it and what we make of it and what we do with it. It's yeah. actually intended for our consciousness to raise itself higher and higher and to reach higher and higher states of consciousness to take that back to where we came from, to, to home. And so the idea of us being in the future and then time loops in on of itself and then it, we come back where? With the Sumerians. Maybe the Sumerians, the Anunnaki, are just future humans even further from the you know they, they, that, that have gone back and seeded us again with information in fact the looking glass according to dan burish came from sumerian sealed cylinders or cylinder steels sorry sumerian cylinder seals i always get them mixed up yeah that's and, amazing right and it's i've you know what's interesting is that um that you know the the crude principle of the original looking glass from you know say they you know they'd left it with us and that we had it in the past it was a it was a device 
that used crystals to focus, um, you know, time space, and 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 they used it to scry for scrying. Just like you know, people that are in altered states of consciousness that do remote viewing, they can see future events, or, or even in the present, they can see other physical locations and bring back accurate data of what they saw. So the looking glass in its original form was nothing more than a scrying technology brought to us back then from our future selves. <laughs> That's another way you could look at it, right? And so, but what we've done with it is, of course, over the when, once we've discovered it in the 50s, they began building, you know, technical devices using the concepts. And they got at first, like Dan Boers says, they were huge bulky awkward things and eventually they made them smaller and smaller like we are like now we have you know our computer in a telephone right in the very beginning computers yeah. had, it had to be in the size of whole warehouses to do the same computing you know abilities so it's you know no surprise to me that now the looking glass is a small device that stands in a room and who knows maybe it even be maybe it's even smaller by now you know since the 90s so you know, unless we're on the inside of those programs, we'll never know. But it's totally within uh, within the bounds of, of realism um, to, you know, as far as the technology goes and how how it would be used. Our pineal gland is a scrying device. Our pineal gland top taps into other dimensions. It taps into unseen perspectives. And one of the things that Robert Grant was saying in that uh, interview. Uh, that he was doing on uh, Jason Shirka's show, is he was saying that the visible spectrum of light is only one octave in 88. And he was liking it to a, uh, a keyboard with 88 keys, a piano. And the only key that we hear is the G right in the middle. And that, you know, right in the middle of those 88 octaves is the G. And that's the one that we hear, or the one we see, let's say. That's our frequency, our bandwidth of human perspective, our human perception. Of our of our eyes and ears and everything. and but you know before the, that key there's you know it starts with the the idea the thought and it moves into sound and it goes up to light and it ends up being like you know um, infrared and then X rays and gamma rays and you know it just keeps going you don't see that anymore that's other you know other dimensionals other octaves other octaves of our reality so you know it's it's very interesting that our and he says that the only thing and this is an interesting take. So the pineal gland actually can perceive into those other realms and that makes a lot of sense because the people doing you know strassman we had you know that in our film solar revolution did experiments with over with dozens of test subjects that were injected with 100 pure dimethyltryptamine which is what the pineal gland manufactures and they experienced ultra-dimensional experiences they met with beings they had conversations and they came back like 10 to 15 minutes later, and it felt like they were gone for years in some cases. So obviously we have this biology in our bodies that can tap into these other dimensions. So is the looking glass, you know, crazy idea or is it fantastical? I don't think so. I think it's absolutely legit, just like the chronovisor was a legit device that was developed by Pellegrino Ornetti. Yeah, I love that story. I mean, I'm, it's not, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know much about it, but I, I, and 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 which McCall gets into that Basago, but Andrew Basago, he ties into that a little bit. You you were able to talk to him. What did you, what were you able to glean? What, we don't have a lot of time, but what were you able to glean from him? Like, does he seem legit or what? What? Did... Yeah, I've uh, my feeling was that his 
recollections are far too detailed and far too consistent for it not to have been real. Um, at least for him, okay? Because I wasn't holding his hand when he was doing the jumps. Yeah. You know, I have to take his story for what it is. Again, and even Packing for Mars is where we feature him. And that story about doing the time jumps, they essentially use the chronovisor or an evolution of the chronovisor mixed with uh, Tesla's teleportation in, uh, um, patents. And they created these, you know, ability, jumping jump fields where they would be able to jump from, in the case of Andrew, from New Jersey to New Mexico. And the only way to verify that story was for us, and I'm speaking of Tanya Maidenford and myself here, to be kind of like put on our scully and molder hats and just travel to the locations that he was describing to see if those things really did exist or if they were just some invention. Because who does that anyway? <laughs> you yeah. know, whoever yeah. goes, whoever goes and verifies physically, you know, gets in a car or a plane and you know goes to some weird coordinate coordinates and and ah okay it is there right very few people do that they just hear the stories on the internet and they take it for you know prima facie evidence that okay they told it it must be real but you know in a lot of cases i bet if you went to those locations they wouldn't be there so you can you know debunk people if you actually go and call them on their stuff so we i wanted to go call andrew on his story and I went to those locations. Tanya and I went to that to those locations. And guess what? They were there. They were all there. And not only that, but we had luck that one of the locations was next to where there was this school where they had, you know, where he talks about Rumsfeld, you know, being involved in this project and where they, the kids would go into this bubble, you know, this, this chronovisor, and they would go in and they would experience these things and come back and tell about it. And we um, got, um, we found out about some neighbors uh, that were living there since the 70s and we wanted to ask them if they knew anything about you know what the rumors were of this these experiments and after a, a little bit of time and you'll see it in packing from ours we set the camera up and you know covertly recorded them talking they actually confirmed that they had been visited by a child participant in this project pegasus which was something where they were you know they were they were using the chronovisor to do these time jumps the only thing that was amazing about the story, on top of the fact that they knew the story, was that the person they were talking about that came to visit them was not Andrew Bishago. Who was it? Exactly. It was somebody else. So that was another verification and another com confirmation for us. Like, okay, there's another, you know, check mark to verify the story. We didn't plan it. We didn't stage it. We didn't set up the camera and say, "Okay, we're from Gaia. We're, let's let's film the scene where we come and knock on your door, and then you answer, and you're surprised to see us, and we go in and we talk about this stuff." No, we did absolute guerrilla filming. We set the cameras up covertly, and we asked for permission after we had done filming the scene because we wanted the we wanted the real story. We didn't want any kind of artificial, made up stuff. They didn't know we were filming. They didn't, they, you know, we were just a couple of people, a couple that were just there, uh, you know, hanging out, drinking beers, listening to their story and, you know, following the story. So that that's was, that's what gave it. Yeah, that was insane. Well, I, I, to finish up, like, how do people find your films, Frank? Like, if somebody wants to go watch Packing for Mars or Solar Revolution, how do they find those and how do they find your website? And thank you so much for doing this. This was awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. Yeah, I mean, the best, the easiest way one to remember is just my name, Frank Jacob with a C. 
uh, like F-R-A-N-K-J-A-C-O-B.com. If you go to that site at the top, there's navigation to get to the webinar, the films. We have all of our films in DVD form as well as in streaming form. So you can see them digitally and you, or you can buy if you want to have physical something in your hand or you want to give somebody a gift. So you, the links to there and, and there's a, a site, uh, you can find a link there to my YouTube channel. I occasionally do my own interviews as well. Uh, and there's also a link to cyberhive.tv, which is the hosting platform for the webinar. So cyberhive.tv is another quick link that you could go to. Um, and our company screenaddiction.com, that's another link. Uh, but I think if you just go to my site, the links are probably more accurate. I'm not sure that, that all the sites are up to date perfectly as, as that one is. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks, Frank. And I might need to uh, get this uh, link from you because uh, I'm, I'm not sure if this recorded on my end. So I, 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 don't, I don't know. I might need to get the recording from you. <laughs> okay, I'll send it to you. No, no worries. You just let me know. Okay, thanks, Frank. Have a good night. Thanks, Matt. All right. All right. Bye.